we do abide in the goodness of God, don't we? You know, sometimes it's easy to get discouraged. We listen to the news and we look around us and see all the struggle. And yet we are reminded through his word and through the acts of kindness of others that God is good and that we reside in that goodness. Uh, I want to lead you in a song that you may not know the words to, but the tune you will know. Uh, the tune of this is Oh Danny Boy. Uh, also, Dottie Rambo wrote a song that she put to this tune called He Looked Beyond My Fault and Saw My Need. So you may know those songs. So that's the tune for this song, I Cannot Tell. But the words on this song are just great. As I was looking through the hymnal trying to find something that would be appropriate for today's service, I ran across these words and they just really uh, spoke to me. So I hope that well, God will speak to you through the singing of these words. So let's stand to, uh, together and sing, I Cannot Tell.
share. Well, I want to encourage you, if you have your copy of God's Word with you, to please open it to the Gospel of John, chapter 13. To those who are watching and being a part of this service on our Facebook live stream, welcome. We are glad you are joining us, and I invite you also to open your Bible to John, chapter 13. As you're turning there, I want to ask you to consider this question. How do you show someone that you love them? Not just speaking the words, but how do you demonstrate your love for someone? If we're thinking in the terms of romantic love, we may say, well, there's the traditional, you bring them roses or candy or perhaps a ring. We think in terms of family. We may answer that question by saying, well, spend time together. pastor I served under when I was a youth intern told me one year for Christmas he gave his family this present, and it was a calendar. He told them, I want you to mark off at least three days every month on this calendar. You choose the days, and we'll all be together. No interruptions. We may show our family that we love them by being there at recitals, games, or competitions. How do we show our neighbors that we love them, our friends? Could be bringing a meal in a time of crisis. Maybe taking care of their dog while they're away. Or maybe even going beyond that. When I was around... 10 years old, my dad took several days off from work. He took vacation days to drive our neighbor and his wife to Bethesda, Maryland so he could have cancer treatments. How do we show love? All of those are ways that we demonstrate love. There's nothing wrong with any of them at all. But there is a standard by which our demonstrations of love are measured. Just like a basketball player who aspires to greatness will be judged and gauged by Michael Jordan. Or a, a guitarist might be judged compared to Eric Clapton for a level of greatness. Our acts of love are measured according to Jesus. His actions become the standard by which love is gauged because his actions were the very definition of love. Specifically, Jesus demonstrated his love in acts of sacrificial service. Beginning in chapter 13, now we begin to really focus on the cross. And verse 1 serves as an introduction, not only to what is about to take place in the context of this upper room the night before Jesus is crucified, but also his death upon the cross. Notice in verse 1, John writes, Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that His hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved His own who were in the world, He loved them to the end. When John mentions that it was before the feast of the Passover, this is not just a, a setting or giving a chronological bearing. This is picking up one of the themes that John has emphasized throughout the gospel. Frequently the word Passover comes up and it's to always keep us mindful that Jesus is the Passover Lamb of God, unblemished, perfect, spotless, 
who will take away the sins of the world by his death. John always wants us to be mindful of that. So even here and now, he says it was before the feast of the Passover when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world. Hour speaks of the moment of his death upon the cross. In John chapter 12, when some Greeks sent word that they wanted to meet Jesus, at that point Jesus says, now is the hour. The time of his death and resurrection was at hand. So John emphasizes this. Jesus knew that the time of his death was near. In fact, within 24 hours he will be arrested and within 48 hours he will be crucified. So the question is this. If you knew you only had, say, 24 hours to live, what would you do at that time? What would you make it a point to do? Here's what Jesus does. He shows the disciples the full extent of his love. Notice at the end of verse 1 it says, He loved them to the end, having loved his own who were in the world, his disciples. He loved them unto the end. Now, you can read that as saying that means that he loved them up to the very moment of his death. But the Greek text is a little bit ambiguous. It could also be translated to read, He showed them the full extent of of his love. He showed them the fullness of his love. Now the immediate act to which John is referring is that of Jesus washing the feet of the disciples. However, it is also setting the stage to understand the cross as the fullest manifestation of the love of Jesus. In fact, the washing of the disciples' feet is meant to symbolize a greater cleansing that will happen upon the cross. Jesus takes this act in which he is about to do and he demonstrates the cleansing that will come about via his death. Verse 2 shows us the scope of this cleansing. During supper, when the devil had already put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him. Now, Judas is introduced here. In fact, he is reintroduced in verses 10 and 11. So it's very interesting that as we start moving closer and closer to the cross, Judas is mentioned even in this demonstration of the love of Jesus. Notice it says in verse 2 that the devil had already put into the heart of Judas Iscariot to betray Jesus. Now, this is in no way trying to absolve Judas of his responsibility. It is showing us, one, that the actions of Judas were satanic in nature, that the root of what he did was in the devil, and also that Judas was complicit with Satan. He did not try to flee the other way. He saw this temptation and he willingly went along with it. As we'll talk about in weeks ahead, Judas was never forced to do anything that he did not want to do. Yet his actions sought, not God. But the evil one. Judas is mentioned here, I think, to answer a question that people have asked every time they've read this. Did Jesus wash the feet of Judas? And I think the answer is unequivocally yes. He knelt down before the one and he washed the feet that would carry Judas to the high priest and take 30 pieces of silver. 
He cleaned the dirt off the feet that would lead the soldiers to the garden tomb to arrest him while he prayed. You know what's even more amazing than that? If you and I had been there that night, Jesus would have washed our feet. He would have knelt down before us and cleaned the dirt off of our toes also. He did this to point to a greater truth. This greater truth comes into focus as he comes to Peter. I want to pick up reading again in verse 3. Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going back to God, rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garments and taking a towel, tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? Jesus answered him, What I am doing you do not understand now, but afterward you will understand. Peter said to him, You shall never wash my feet. And Jesus answered him, If I do not wash you, you have no share with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Jesus said to him, The one who has bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not every one of you. For he knew who was to betray him. That is why he said, not all of you are clean. This conversation that Jesus has with Peter as he is washing the feet of the disciples shows how Jesus understood this washing to point to the greater cleansing that will occur upon the cross. It's very fascinating to me that in verse 4, John gives us a step-by-step -step detailed account of what Jesus does. John could have taken a very minimalist approach. He could have said, Jesus got up from the table, put on an apron, and washed the feet of the disciples. But he doesn't. Do you notice the meticulous detail? Jesus rose from supper. He takes off his outer garment. He takes up a towel. He ties it around his waist. He pours water into a basin and he begins to wash their feet. John is emphasizing step by step that Jesus took off the, the, the garb he was wearing and he put on what a low servant would wear. And he began to do the lowest of tasks that would not even be required of a Jewish slave. Jesus here is giving another visual demonstration of what happened in the Incarnation. Here, Jesus is living out what Paul wrote about in Philippians 2 when he said, Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God something to be grasped. But he emptied himself. He took the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. When Jesus takes off his cloak and he puts on this towel, he is taking the form of the lowest of the low, the servant of the servants. Then he comes to Peter. Peter responds, not out of, our sense of pride, out of a sense of pride, but out of propriety. 
Peter, perhaps the spokesman of the group, the brashest of the disciples, says clearly, this is not appropriate. The emphasis in verse 6 is on you. He says, do you wash my feet? Implying, Jesus, I should be washing your feet. But Then Jesus answers him, and his answer takes it to a whole different level. You don't understand, Simon. You will afterward. Peter is adamant. You shall never wash my feet. Look at the words of Jesus in verse 8. If I do not wash you, you have no share with me. This is where he takes the meaning to something beyond the mere physical act he's doing. Share speaks of inheritance. What's to come? Peter, if I don't wash you, you have no share in the kingdom that's coming. In other words, Peter, if you don't allow me to wash you, to wash your feet, to cleanse you, you're not a part of me. You're not a part of the kingdom. Now Jesus is say, stating this, foreshadowing the cleansing that will take place on the cross. As Jesus died, He died to atone for our sins. He died to cleanse us of our impurities. Jesus' death and resurrection removes our guilt before God. I'm convinced that many of the issues we have today as individuals goes back, goes back to trying to find some sort of absolution for guilt. We know that things are not right. We know that we do not do the things that we ought to do. So rather than dealing with the guilt, we try to bypass it by redefining right or wrong. It's not that bad. Or we turn that guilt inward and guilt turned inward comes outward in anger. And the good news of the gospel is you don't have to carry that guilt. When I was thinking through this and praying through this, my mind went back to a play that I read when I was a senior in high school. So all of you English teachers out there, take heart. Those lessons are in our minds. I went back to Macbeth. I have not read Macbeth since 1986. But oh, the bards is still the bane of high school students everywhere. Macbeth is a play about power and guilt. Macbeth is a general under King Duncan. Macbeth's wife begins prodding him to murder the king so that Macbeth might rise up to become the king. Macbeth follows through with the plan. And he's wrestling with guilt. And Lady Macbeth, his wife, looks at him and says, A little water clears us of this deed. In other words, Macbeth, wash your hands, move on. Time will take care of it. Your guilt will be assuaged over time. You can forget about it. But it doesn't happen that way. Lady Macbeth, in one scene, is sleepwalking. She's rubbing her hands. She's trying to rub her hands clean of blood that's not visible anymore. She says, out, out, oh spot. Trying to rid herself of guilt. Shakespeare was hitting at that, that need for each of us to know we're forgiven. That we can be right before God. And the good news is this. What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. But this must be applied by faith. 
Not just an act of baptism, not just saying the name. Because notice in verse 7, Jesus emphasizes faith. What I am doing, you don't understand. But you will afterward. But Peter, you've got to trust me. That's where he draws this contrast with Judas. Not all of them were clean. So he's telling us there that even though he washed the feet of Judas, Judas was not clean. Judas was not participating by faith in following Jesus. A ritual act does not atone for sin. But faith in what Jesus does on the cross does. Peter realizes this. Peter, more than anything, wants to be with Jesus. He wants to be in the kingdom. So look at how he answers. He says, Lord, verse 9, not only my feet, but my hands and my head. In other words, if you need to wash me, Jesus, so that I'll be in the kingdom, wash me from head to foot. This is one of those moments when I think Jesus may have let out a chuckle. He says in verse 10, the one who is bathed doesn't need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean. Now, he's drawing an analogy here. Whenever anyone would travel in the time of Jesus, when they arrived at their destination, if the person was of any means at all, he would provide a slave to wash feet. So Jesus is basically saying this. If you get up in the morning and you bathe, you take a shower, you walk the dusty roads, when you get to where you're going, you only have to wash your feet. You don't have to take a whole shower again. Now, we'll read later where Jesus says the disciples are clean because of the word that he has spoken. But here, when he says you don't need to be cleansed except for your feet, I think he is alluding to what John wrote in 1 John 1.9 when he said, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive them. He is saying you're cleansed, but there may still be dirt that clings to you. You don't have to be resaved, but you need to wash that dirt away. He's dealing with that issue of what about sin that comes into the life of a believer after salvation. And he's saying, confess it. Be clean of it. Jesus is making an analogy similar to this. Suppose you buy a car as you're driving it on the way home. It gets dirty. But once you get home with it, you don't say, that car's dirty. I need a whole new car. That's it. No, you say, okay, it's my car, but I'm going to wash it and I'm going to keep driving it. That's the point Jesus is making here. If sin enters into your life after you've been cleansed, repent of it. Let him wash that away because that's the glory of the gospel. Now, these truths are not just some sort of soteriological theory. These are truths that are to be lived. And while you and I can by no means give our lives to purify someone else, we can live sacrificially to point people toward the truth of the cross. That's where Jesus goes next. Look at verse 12. When he had washed their feet and he put on his outer garment and he resumed his place, he said to them, Do you understand what I've done to you? You call me teacher and Lord and you are right, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I've given you an example that you should do just as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, 
Blessed are you if you do them. These verses are very straightforward. There's nothing ambiguous here. The followers of Jesus are to demonstrate their love for God and their love for one another by serving one another. Jesus is not instituting foot washing as an ordinance here. As Baptists, we hold there are two ordinances, baptism and the Lord's Supper, both of which are to be done regularly. Foot washing is not lifted up to such a place. If that were so, one could really go through a foot washing with an act of pride and a sense of ritual. I've done this, so I'm right with God. Really, that would be too easy. What Jesus is calling us to is something much more difficult. To have a lifestyle of sacrificial service. To ask how we can serve one another, our community, and our Lord. So what does that look like? I'd like to give an illustration of what this looks like by mentioning something that I know has been very frustrating and even controversial to some people, and that is wearing a face mask. We live in, of course, our county where the mayor has mandated that masks are to be worn. But rather than becoming frustrated about wearing that, let's see it as a chance to show sacrificial love to share the gospel. Now, I know they're hot and they're uncomfortable. I know that because we've worn face masks around my daughter Emma for years now. We do that to protect her. Because we may be carrying something we don't know about, a cold, the flu, a virus, and so we want to protect her. So as an act of love for Emma, we put on the face mask and we wear them around her. That should be our motivation. So when you are wearing your face mask and you're in public and you hear somebody within six feet of you saying, Oh, I hate these. I hate these. I hate wearing them. That's an opportunity for you to say, You know what? I know it's frustrating, but I'm wearing it because of the gospel. Have you ever read the gospels? If they say, Yes, I've read the gospels, guess what? You can talk about Jesus. If they say, no, I've never read the Gospels, what does that have to do with wearing a face mask? You can talk about Jesus. But it comes from this attitude that says, I want to seek to serve others. That's part of being a sacrificial servant. I also want to take this moment to answer some questions that I have been asked regarding plans for Trinity. And I want to do this in the context of this message on service. Because I want us to recognize that everything we do as a church, whether it be a ministry of taking meals out, whether it be hosting family promise, or whether it be developing property or renovating buildings, everything we do is to be seen and done as an act of service to our Lord, to one another, and even our community. If we go about any endeavor with a sense of self focus and inward focus we're treating the church like it's a country club and that is not what the church is about so with that in mind I wanted to address questions that I've been asked regarding what's going on in our children's area well keep in mind that everything has been slowed down by the pandemic plans that were being made had to come to a standstill however we should begin with the, be starting within the next few weeks installing new floors there, repainting the entire children's area, and installing different and new types of lights that will illuminate better. And doing this 
to serve our families and our children and their grandchildren and those that will be coming. We've also been working toward the construction of youth Sunday school space, toward a youth building that will sit just outside of our, the offices we currently have. Well, once again, plans were slowed due to the pandemic, but we're ready to finalize those plans to create new space for the teenagers, not only within our church, but within our community. I know Michael has had a dream for years of creating a place dedicated to the youth where he could throw open the doors and say, after school, if you want a place to hang out, come here. And I can think of no other better thing we could do as a church to say, yes, come to us as a safe place where you can study, build relationships, and learn about the gospel. So we're ready to start moving whenever plans are finalized. I've been asked about the property. What's going on with that? Well, after the youth building, we will begin working toward a dedicated sanctuary that will sit over to your right on the other side of our current building. To do that, no matter when it happens, land would have to be cleared. It would have to be done. And the opportunity came and the timing was right to begin clearing the acreage that God had provided for us. Now this is something that God did that I've not spoken of from the pulpit, but it just shows how God is working. When the land was, was examined, the majority of the trees that were usable were poplar wood. We found out in talking with the forestry as well as the man who cleared the land, the demand for poplar wood was very high, so we cleared the land at a time where we got top dollar for the wood that was usable, money that went back into the building fund that will be used in the children's area and the youth building. Now, I know it has been a mess. I know it's been an eyesore. But it was part of the process of making the land usable. So when I look at this land, I can tell you what I see. I see that sanctuary seated over there. I see land that has been developed for parking. I see a pavilion up behind here that can be used for weddings, Sunday school gatherings, family reunions. I see a walking trail encircling the property that is filled with soccer fields used for community outreach with the sole purpose of sharing the gospel, of building relationships, not being inward focused, but outward focused. Now the question that we all want to know is when will that happen? We've been waiting a long time. And my answer is I don't know. But I do have faith that when God is ready, He will let us know. And at that point, the question will be, are we ready to pick up the basin and the towel and to serve? Are we ready to sacrifice for others? Often what keeps us from being willing to sacrifice is fear. And I want to take you back to verse 3. Look at three things that Jesus knew. Jesus served knowing the Father had given all things into His hands. Now, we don't have the authority of Jesus, but we do know this, that all things are in God's hands. We can be confident of that. This pandemic is not going to last forever. The time will come when it is over, and we need to be ready to serve. Notice what else Jesus knew. God had given all things into His hands. Once again, we don't have the authority of Jesus, but we serve Him knowing that all authority is in His hands to accomplish His will. And He knew that He had come from God and was going back to God. We know that God has caused us to be born again and that in the end, we are accepted by God. Therefore, we serve, not out of a sense of gaining acceptance or approval, 
but out of love and freedom, knowing that we belong to Christ for eternity. And I want to ask, if you will, to bow your heads with me. The most important question that you need to deal with this morning is, am I right with Jesus? Am I right with God? Have I been cleansed by Jesus? What that means is that you believe Jesus died on the cross for your sins and rose from the dead. And you are willing and want to repent of your sins to follow Him. If you have never done that, I invite you this morning, even as I am speaking, to say, Lord, I believe. I believe Jesus died for my sins. I believe He rose from the dead. Forgive me. Now, when we dismiss from here, I'll be hanging out over in the corner to your right up near the concession stand window, and I'll be there if you have prayed to receive Christ or want to know more about what it means to follow Christ. I'll be glad to talk with you. The other takeaway from this message that we need to wrestle with is, how are we doing at serving? How are we doing in our attitudes? The Spirit of God is moving upon you and He's revealing that there's a self-centeredness that has snuck into your life. Take this moment just to repent of that and know that He is faithful and He is just to forgive. You may be carrying guilt from sins long ago today I would love for you to know the freedom of hearing Jesus say I do not condemn you Father you know our hearts in here better than we know them ourselves you know the weight we are carrying you know the frustrations we have Father you know the sin that grips us so easily so Lord with our hearts open before you we ask for your grace and your mercy that you might be glorified We ask you, O Lord, to stir our hearts that we would seek to honor you and to serve you as we serve others. Grant this, Father, I pray. In the name of Jesus, our Lord and Savior. Amen.